would ask you to turn to the book of Hebrews. That's in the end of the New Testament, a little bit before the book of Revelation. And if you'll turn there, turn to chapter 12, and I'm going to begin reading verse 14, 15, and 16. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat, sold his birthright. There are a few passages of scriptures that are as direct and practical and as powerful as our text this morning. It covers the great duty and the great dangers of believers. The great duty is this, and it's given to us in verse 14. Follow peace with all men. Try to get along with everybody you can. I know it's impossible, but try. Try to be at peace with everybody that you meet in your lifetime. Do the best you can to get along with one another. Like one another. Love one another. Why? Well, look what's out there. Look how people are being dumbed down. Look at the stress. Look at the strain. Look at the bitterness. Look look at all the contention between the races. And look how it's all being promoted by our leaders. So follow peace with all men and holiness. The word follow, here in this text in the Greek, it has a strong meaning. It means to run after, chase after, press after, and to pursue diligently. It has the idea of urgency and hotly pursuing after peace and holiness. Why? Because we live in a world that is full of corrupt and evil people who could care less about our prayers, who could care less about our Bible, who could care less about our prayer meetings, who could care less about the things of God. There are people out there that only care for themselves and many of them don't love a whole lot of people around them to begin with. We've got to go after the virtues of God, the things of God, with a vengeance. You know how easy it is to say to somebody that maybe uh, you just don't like a little bit? Or somebody that kind of gets under your skin or somebody that kind of knows how to press all the wrong buttons, you say to yourself, forget you. 
Get a life. I'm done with you. But the Bible says just the opposite. Try to get along with everybody. Try to love everybody. Why? Because there's so little of it anymore in this world. There's so little of it anymore in our marriages, in our homes, in our schools, in our businesses. It's no surprise that America is teetering. It is no surprise that America is under attack. So this is good admonition. The very reason we are in this world, and what do you think we're here for? Jesus looked at his disciples and he's looking at us and he says, you and you and you are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. You and I are the gatekeepers. We are the one that is trying to bring stability into our communities and into our schools and into our society. So I want to ask you, How good are you and how hard are you trying to get along with everybody? That's what the text says. Now, I know it's impossible. There are just some people who don't want no part of you, don't want no part of us. But try the best you can to get along with one another and... And you've heard me say this a hundred times. When you go through a divorce, God forbid, but when you go through a divorce, you got to be and remain a Christian. You can't go after everything. You can't try to inflict pain because you're bitter. You got to be a Christian no matter what valley. No matter what darkness, no matter what trial you go through. Why? Because your very soul is at stake. You become vulnerable when you go through the valleys and the dark times and the trials in your own life. We are by the grace of God. We're the gatekeepers of joy and peace and righteousness in our communities. So I would like to speak to you just a little bit about the subject of bitterness. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. I'm talking about a malignancy this morning. I'm talking about something that can destroy a civilization. Looking diligently, lest any man fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up. Notice the word any. Follow peace with all men, looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and lest any fornicator or profane person, any, 
anything. The writer is saying anything. Anything can become a seed. Anything can get into your heart and your mind. Anything. Be it jealousy. Be it an illness. Be it a divorce. Be it a disappointment. Be it uh, pastors or ministers or teachers or parents or supervisors or little snide comments or failures or abuse or addictions or accidents or grudges or anger or sadness, taxes, inflation, bills, feeling unappreciated, being canceled. Bitterness can be caused by anything or anybody who can offend us or betray us or lie about us or take advantage of us. And in the flesh, some might come to the conclusion and make the point that God let them down. That's what people say. When they get a doctor report, like my wife got, and like some of you got, you only got four weeks to live. What you going to do? Shake a fist in God's face? I thought you were a God of love. All it takes is a spark to set your soul on fire. All it takes is an incident. All it takes is somebody to look at you wrong. People are uptight, stressed out. I don't text much. I text a lot now because I'm a pastor. But how many of you have been at a red light And you just glance down to do a little something with your phone. And everybody in front of you is already down the street. And you know the person behind you? He don't love you. Because he's got a horn. And if that horn could talk, you would do this with your ears. Amen? Amen? Amen. There's a lot of reasons why people want to shake a fist in God's face. They have a handicapped child. They got a bad spouse. They found out they've got an illness. They found out they don't have enough money to pay their bills. But here's something to remember. When you're going through a trial, especially a bitter trial or a dark dark valley, one which you had no control over, and you know you're in the hand of God, then I want you to hear this. Then somewhere through that trial, 
God is going to make you a survivor and help others along the way before you're through. God knows how to deliver his children. God knows what he's doing. Look at Joseph. His father gave him a coat of many, many colors. That won't fly. And for no reason, his brothers hated him. Well, the reason was they were jealous. Dad was showing more attention to Joseph than he was to to the others. So they decide to throw him in a pit. They decide, well, let's kill him. And then they said, well, maybe let's not kill him. Oh, here comes a band of Midianites. They're going to Egypt. Let's just sell him as a slave. And then he goes to Egypt and he gains favor. And then Potiphar's wife sets him up. And Potiphar's husband throws him in jail. And then he says to the butler and the baker, hey, when you guys get out of here, don't forget me. Mention mention to the king, to Pharaoh, that God give me a gift to interpret dreams. They forgot all about him for two years. But then somebody said, when the king had a dream, we saw the seven fat cows and the seven healthy cows and, and, and thin cows. And Pharaoh called in all his musicians, all his experts, all his psychologists. They couldn't interpret the dream. And then someone said, hey, by the way, king, there's a guy in prison. He knows how to interpret dreams. The king said, go get him and hurry up. And Joseph come out and the king explained his dreams. And Joseph said, this is the dream. You're going to have seven good years of prosper. And you're going to have seven bad years of terrible famine. And God sent Joseph to the top. Of Egypt. And he became the second man in control. But he didn't get bitter. You know why God sent Joseph to Egypt? To save the the posterity of God's people. The famine would have wiped out all the Jews. Back then, they were the favored people of God. Today, they're just like any other people, Jew or Gentile. And they've got to come to Christ as much as anybody else has to come to Christ. There's no special favors for any nationalities. Amen? God will take care of you. Bitterness is something everything will deal with one time or another in life, especially in this world. 
is mentioned over and over in the word of God as one of the most dangerous things you can deal with. Bitterness is like a malignancy that can spread quickly through your life and into the lives of those that you love the most. Bitterness can shape and disfigure our personalities, destroy almost all our relationships. Bitterness destroys our ability to grow, to live normally, and to make progress. Bitterness knows no limits. It can consume and it will consume the young and the old, the saved and the unsaved, the high and the mighty, and the lowly and the slowly. I was one of those slowly in high school. I was so slow. They threw me and my twin brother out of school. Bitterness doesn't have to have the center stage of your life. Oh, it has every intention. It's a spirit that wants to destroy. But it doesn't have to have center stage in your life. Why? Because it's a nocturnal spirit. It's a spirit that does its dirty work a lot in the dark, in the night, while your head is on your pillow. Poisoning the mind, stressing out the body to where it physically begins to break down. Bitterness is one of the greatest threats that destroys our homes, marriages, children, families, friends. Many marriages, many marriages in this country and throughout the whole world consist of two parts, a better half and a bitter half. Which half are you? Amen? All it takes is anything to set your life on fire. To start to destroy your home, your marriage. And unfortunately, some of its greatest destructive work takes place in churches. And among believers, all churches can look back over their shoulders and remember a time when bitterness assaulted their congregations over anything and everything. Some churches split because they fight over the color of the carpet. It don't take much to tear your home up. Your life up. Bitterness can rob the joy of living out of your soul. Because of bitterness, many married people and Christian people, they no longer enjoy their lives. They endure their lives. I'm not going to say that You can forget your past, all your afflictions and all those terrible things that you may be chained to in the past, all your bitter experiences. But God, our God, 
the true and the living God, can give us the grace to forget them in the sense that they no longer have power or control over our lives. I can't ever forget all the bad things that happened to me. I'll never forget them. I'll take them to my grave. But God can give me grace where they no longer control me and they no longer own me and they no longer take my joy away. You don't overcome bitterness by getting a doctor's prescription to make you zombie-like all day. Neither do you overcome bitterness by sitting in front of all the media screams today or maxing out credit cards or developing addictions. Victory over bitterness takes time. It takes honesty. It takes effort. And let me throw this into the mix You hear people say and use the expression all the time, well, they won't change till the bitter end. You ever heard that? They will take their bitterness to the grave. Let me remind you that there is no magic in death that can change a man's character or his destiny. As a tree falls, so shall it lie. Nothing changes after death. Did you hear me? There's preachers trying to tell you, well, after death, there's going to be a million years of peace. uh, And after death, there's going to be this and there's going to be that. When you die, it's over. And that overness, that experience of death does not change your character or your destiny. If you die, go into heaven. If you get... If you're saved before you die, you're going to heaven. If you're lost before you die, and then after you die, you're going to hell. That's what the Bible says. The point I'm making, anyone that takes anything to the grave that is sin or bitterness, or anything like that. When you take and whatever you take to the grave. That's what you're going to live with. For the rest of eternity. You're going to be in a flame that never goes out. It's torment. You're not going to burn up and then it's all over. The fires of hell are your memory remembering and regretting all the opportunities, all the times you sat in the church, all the times the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart, tried to woo you to give your heart to God, and you were stubborn, and you were stiff, and you were rebellion. You're going to take it all with you throughout eternity, and it's going to be played back over and over and over again. What is bitterness? Sometimes when you see a person that's bitter, they're like a porcupine. They have a lot of good points. But it's dangerous to get too close to them. 
They can stick you good with harsh, painful, and judgmental remarks. With quills which when they go into your heart, the barbs make them hard to remove without intense pain. So it is in the spiritual realm. You just can't walk away from hatred and bitterness and all kinds of demonic spirits that have taken hold of your life because you didn't have any sense. It takes time to be delivered. Oh, I know God can break the power of sin in a moment. But it still takes time to outrun the habits, outrun the memories, outrun the influence. Then some are like an iceberg. Do you ever see an iceberg up close? They're aloof. And they're cold. And most of their problems are beneath the surface. But you hear me. They can sink a Titanic of souls. Don't mess around. Don't mess around with attitudes, with feelings. Be at peace with all men as much as lies within you. Bitterness blows the candle of joy out and leaves millions in darkness. Bitterness can hold back good services and revivals and prayer meetings. Our churches in America, unfortunately, are filled with bitter brothers and sour sisters and mean ministers and broken boards. And don't get nervous. Anointed preaching has given this church a good staff. And I'm preaching like this because I want to keep it that way. The ushers got to ush. The singers got to sing. The administrators got to administrate, right? The choir's got to sing. The preacher's got to preach. The teacher's got to teach. The parents got to parent. But keep it on the up and up. Don't get mean. Don't get ugly. Don't put out cutting remarks. I thank God for this congregation. I thank God almost every day. I inherited the cream of Brother Wilson's work. And I've been pastoring you, and I don't know which is crazier. I've been pastoring you for 36, going on 36 years. We're stuck, buddy. We're stuck with one another. But I love you. And you better love me. And you have showed your love over and over and over again. You know, life's too short 
for you and I to get better and get all messed up with attitudes. The devil wants to spoil our lives. And Jesus, on the other hand, says, I didn't come to spoil or to destroy or to kill. I came that you might have life and have life more abundantly. So get a life, folks. Now, how does bitterness get into our hearts? I'm going to close. And into our churches. Verse 15, the writer exhorts us to look diligently, to watch carefully for three things, each of which introduces that with a phrase, lest any. Lest any. Any takes in almost a thousand any things. Lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springs up. Lest any fornicator or profane person tries to sell his soul for a little piece of meat. Every believer's duty and responsibility is to follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And that means you really won't see the Lord. Holiness is an absolute essential if a person is to live with God. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 7.1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting our holiness in the fear and in the sight of God. You've got a responsibility. We're in an agreement. We're in a covenant with God. I promise this God. You promise this God. So we work together on that. My wife gets these magazines and they're all about the clothes and everything. Girl stuff, right? And I'm looking through it. This just happened four or five days ago. And they're just, you know, nice things. And I opened it up. And I did a double take. They were advertising some of the most filthy, ungodly sex toys. in a woman's magazine about clothes. What did you do with it, Pastor? I filed it in 13. All it takes, anything. You can see something, you can read something, you can hear something, you can receive something, and that's all it needs for Satan to start a fire in your soul. Holiness is an absolute essential. 
The grace of God is the most wonderful gift in all the world. What is the grace of God? It's the favor and the kindness of God that saves men. God didn't have to save us. While we were yet sinners, God didn't have to save us. But for God so loved you and you and you, He gave His only begotten Son that you and you and you and me can be free and not perish. The grace of God is the most wonderful gift in all the world. It's a glorious opportunity for men to be saved from sin, death, the grave, and hell. And it's the only opportunity. And he is the only Savior. And Jesus Christ is the only grave that's empty. And all these other imposters, bunch of baloney. But again, the great danger is that men now listen carefully. Is that clock right? What? Somebody tell me what time it is. It's 11.06? Well, that's just 10 after 6, so I got another hour and a half. That's a good clock. That's a saved clock. Now listen carefully. The great danger is that all men will not grab the opportunity. The grace of God has appeared unto all men, teaching them to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. That's what God's grace teaches you. And nowhere in the Bible... Does the grace of God wink at and ignore and overlook and guarantee you're going to be saved? It's the biggest lie the devil ever told. This is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. That we obey the book, his word, the greatest book in the world. And yet now they're trying to come up with And destroy our freedom of press. Much less our freedom of speech. There's some nasty people out there, church. When I see them on TV. Giving their speeches. I got to hold the reins. From getting bitter. Just looking into their evil eyes. And how they're destroying millions and millions of our youth, a hundred thousand plus every year, because they won't close the borders and make people come in legally. And so God has given us the greatest gift in the world. His only begotten son. Why do you think John the Baptist said when Jesus came up to be baptized, 
after he scolded all the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the hypocrites. And he said, who, fle- who, who has warned you, snakes, to flee from the wrath to come? Go forth and bring forth fruits. Bring forth some evidence that you really, truly repented. But then Jesus come walking up in the line to be baptized. John the Baptist closed it all down. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of all the world. But you got to grab it. You got to lay hold of it. You got to want Jesus more than you want anything. So what happens? Look at the text. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, the plan of God, the salvation of God. But what happens? The great danger is that millions of believers will accept the opportunity to join a church or be baptized, or profess Christ, or or go through some ritual, or become religious, or try to do some good works. But they will fail to grab hold of the grace of God that can change their lives. Oh, it's so much easier to carry a label than it is It's so much easier to profess than it is to possess. Because if you become a Christian, you got to deny yourself. That's not easy. Amen? Don't get conned and snowed in by all these churches. Get back to the book. Oh, Christianity's for little kids and grandmas. Oh, it is? Then you try to love your enemies. You try to do good to them that despitefully use you. You try to overcome this world. You try to love not this world. You try to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill all the, the, the temptations and urges to fulfill your lust. Christianity is the most dynamic and the only bus that's going to heaven. So what do they grab? They grab the label. And so there they are, using God's name in vain, G this, JC that. They cheat, they lie, good number of them. I worked with Christians for 22 years in the secular world. I watched people with crosses and chains around their neck and and labels all over them. Got mad, F-U, F-this, S-O-B, G-D, J-C. You kabish? You understand? 
It's easier to wear a label, carry a label, than it is, and to carry a profession, than to have the goods. You ask people, are you saved? Brother Hoss's father and I went in the hospital, visited this man that was dying, good friend of the family. His father and I went in there to have prayer with him. This happened a hundred times. Man laying there sick, possibly don't have a lot of time to live, and you go in there with politeness, you're trying to look for an opening, you want to try to get them to talk about their soul. And so C.D. looked down at the guy and he said, Brother, the way he does, he said, Are you saved? Oh, I'm a Lutheran. That don't save you. Oh, I'm a Presbyterian. Here we are. Oh, I'm a Baptist. I'm this, I'm that. I'm a Catholic. Wearing labels don't save you. Salvation. When the grace of God hits your soul and the power of God changes your life, your attitude, that's what makes you a member of the church. Nothing else. So wear all your labels. Be snowed by these preachers. I've been a Presbyterian for 40 years. My grandpa was a Presbyterian and my great-grandpa was a Presbyterian. You know what the Bible says? Don't set light by your posterity. Your daddy, your granddaddy, and your great-great-great-granddaddy, they could have been wrong, you know. Well, where do I go to get the truth? The B-I-B-L-E. I got in the shower and one of my wounds just started pouring out blood this morning. But it looks like I stopped it. Anybody see any red? Thank God. You understand what I'm saving? What I'm saying. Why do they do this? Why do they reach for the labels. And all the religiosity. And all the piety. Instead of reaching for the power and the grace. And the gift that God has given us. To change our lives. Why do they do this? Because it's easier to profess Christianity than to possess it. It's easier to say I'm a Lutheran, a Methodist, Catholic, whatever, than to walk in the Spirit and overcome the flesh. It's easier to show your religious label than to carry your cross. I'm going to jump. So the Bible says, lest any root of bitterness spring up 
How does the root of bitterness get into our hearts? Where does it start? Somebody? Anybody? Anything? It can reach out. It can be a word. It can be a comment. It could be anything. It can hurt you. Anything that can hurt you. Be it intentional or be it unintentional. All that's got to happen is something has got to break your skin and hurt you. And that's all the devil needs. To plant a seed of bitterness in your soul. You know what the Bible says? Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You're burning, you're seething, you're angry, you're mad. James says, Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a world of iniquity and a fire that can burn down a nation. Just like the tongues that are wagging today that are trying to destroy America and take away true democracy and bring in socialism. Oh, you shouldn't say that. That's why God called me to preach and not you. See, you don't understand what happens up here. Read verse 15, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Do you see the double whammy? Did you see it in the verse? Verse 15, when a root of bitterness springs up in a life, it's a double whammy. It first troubles you. It first torments you. It first starts taking away your joy and your peace. But it doesn't stop there. Then it defiles all your friends and family and loved ones around you. Now remember the root is underground. Roots like to hide. By the way, 
Can I dig around your roots a little bit this morning? A lot of people don't even know what's hiding underground in their hearts. A bitter person holds grudges against people for years. And they find it very hard to forgive. And we all know the moment we dislike somebody, we become their slave. And they control our thoughts. Look at verse 14. Peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. God will not be real to anyone who has animosity in their hearts. Look at what he said. Follow peace with all men and holiness. Peace and holiness have no room, no place, and no space for bitterness. Your heart has got to be clean. I'm closing. Just, Justin, are you here? Yeah, you can come. Bitterness has a bad influence upon people. Its fallout is devastating. I'm going to close with this verse. Yes, I am. I am going to close with it. You know, I, I told my wife, you know what I want you to put on my gravestone when I die? I'm closing. I want you to still hear me when I'm dead. (laughs) Now listen to this. You talk about a powerful, powerful scripture. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 26. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Get rid of all your anger, your jealousy, your hatred, your animal, whatever it is, before the sun goes down. Because when the sun goes down, Satan has a better grip. He's had a little more time to get you by the throat. Neither give place to the devil. In other words, don't give bitterness the chance to take root in your heart. Now listen, verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed under the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness, the stinging, the hurt, let all bitterness and wrath, what's wrath? Fierce anger, inward burning, and anger, Uh Uh-oh, what's happened here? First it was bitterness, then it was wrath. That's all underneath. But now there's anger. Now there's an outward fury of feelings towards somebody or something. And then it goes on to clamor and evil speaking. What's clamor? It's all this uproar going on in our streets. It's all these rioting. It's all these filthy signs. It's all these lifestyles that are trying to advertise. And they're clamoring. 
Because they're angry. Because they're bitter. Because they got a devil in them. You better understand what the Bible teaches us. It's not done yet. It went from internal emotions, internal flame, and now it's starting to come outward. And evil speaking. And then... Put away from you all of those things and all malice. What's malice? Now you're at the point where you want to kill somebody. Slap them around. (laughs) You understand? Do you see the, 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 the pattern? You don't just stop with saying, well... He's not my type of person. I don't like him. I don't like her. When the seed gets into your heart or my heart, it starts to grow. How do I get rid of it? This is the bitter fruit of a bitter root. Bitterness will take you and cause you to split hell wide open. You heard about the lady who put an ad in the paper, for sale a wedding dress or will trade for a 38 revolver. Bitterness will carry you away with the winds How can I get rid of bitterness? First, you've got to let God reveal it. Secondly, you've got to let the grace of God remove it. And thirdly, you've got to let good replace your bitterness. Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Let God, and He's the only one that can remove it. He's the only one that can control it. He's the only one that can allow you to live with the memory of it, but it has no power over you. Choose this day, will you? Ah, we got a great meal, I know that, but just take a moment. Choose this day to be better instead of bitter. That's so. Come over here. Hug me. So let's choose to be better instead of bitter. Don't let bitterness and anger be the characteristics that define half your life. Get a life. Jesus wants you to get victory. I want you to get victory. 
The saints want you to get victory. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost want you to get victory. So I'm not saying you're bitter. Some may be. But maybe there's a, just a little spark there. If I were you, while we sing, I'd come down and deal with that. Come down and sit on a front pew or kneel before an altar. But take care of business. Because if you play with the devil, he'll mess you up. So would you like to stand now? Page 151. Page 151. Anybody need to pray? Come on, there's room. God bless you. You've been a great audience. And I know there are another 50 or so in the dining hall making ready. But why don't you bring whatever it is that's eating at you? Bring it down and lay it down at the altar. Lay it down at the foot of Jesus. Jesus will help you. Those of you that are carrying grudges, you've been carrying them for years. You better lay it down before it lays you out. God bless you this morning. I just got a feeling that some people need help. And I want you to come. Those of you that are joining us via live stream, we love you. We appreciate the fact that you're listening and worshiping with us. God bless all of you out there. And God bless all of you in here. Come on as we sing. Let's be men and women. Let's come down and have a little talk with Jesus. Jesus will help us get our minds right. God bless you, brother. God bless you, Tammy.